Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Greetings, brothers and sisters. As we continue to deal with the subject of exorcism or deliverance in the church in Africa today, we have a pressing question that deserves answers. And that question is, can Christians or believers in Christ Jesus be demon-possessed? Should Christians really be concerned or afraid of demons? Everywhere in the churches in Africa where you go, the ministry of deliverance is very much emphasized, often at the expense of several other ministries in the church. Worship service now, more time is given to deliverance and exorcising of demons than probably even worship of God itself. There is no doubt that there is great fear amongst Christians or believers in Africa today of what the devil can do more than what God can do or is doing in their lives today. While claiming to be Christian, while claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ, whom they believe has saved them from Satan and sin, believers continue to be in the grip of demonic fear and satanic fear, wondering what Satan can do to them anytime, that they are in desperate need of anyone who can pronounce deliverance over them. Either they are afraid that generational curses are following them, things that could have been in the family before they came to Christ, or they are afraid that there might be an unrepentant sin in their life that could open a door for demons at any time. They are not sure whether they experience full security and protection from Jesus who has saved them and called them out of the darkness of sin. Most charismatic churches or movements today seem to affirm also that believers indeed can be possessed by demons. Their evidence is based majorly on subjective personal experiences about people they have encountered who claimed to be believers and indeed were under the control of satanic power until they were set free through the ministry of a certain pastor. So today we are seeing a rising movement of pastors, of men of God, whose major specialty in the ministry is to cast out demons. Some of them have been called demon chasers. Some of them have been called demon hunters. One famous pastor in Uganda is called in the local language Avizayo, which means that he has the capacity to send the demons back to whoever sent them to you. In fact, the popularity of today's pastor in the context of Africa largely depends on his ability to cast out demons, on his ability to identify the nature of spirits at work, on his ability to prophesy that believers will be safe from powers that threaten them or scare them right now. So the most anointed man in Africa today is not the man who faithfully, day by day, Sunday after Sunday, stands in the pulpit and opens up scripture for the believers to grow in their faith. No. He is the man who shouts, the man who claims personal revelation, the man who claims to understand or to have a gift of identifying demons, the man who claims he can chase them out. That is the man with the biggest church, 
that is the man who is popular, that is the man who will attract more members, because believers have one single most fear in Africa, demons and satanic powers. The question, can believers really be demon-possessed? Should believers be worried about what the devil might do to them? What does the Bible say when it comes to the question of demon possession and believers? What's the relationship? Now as we look at the evidence from the scriptures, you might be surprised to find that there is hardly any biblical evidence to suggest that believers can be demon possessed. Almost every case of demonic possession we find in scripture has to do with non-believers that either have been brought to Jesus for help or Jesus and the disciples have encountered in the context and course of their gospel proclamation. But we are not told in any way that these people were Christians or believers whatsoever. The gospels are very silent about that question, but what we see come out more clearly is non-believers possessed by powers of darkness being set free by Jesus and the apostles. You come to the letters of the apostles and you will notice again that while deliverance is going on and some people are being delivered from demon possession, none of them are spoken of by scripture as to have been believers. Think of like the, the young girl who had the spirit of fortune telling in Philippi. Uh, think of the several other demonic cases that we find in the book of Acts, but there is no evidence to suggest <clears throat> that any of these people were actually believers. As we look at scripture, what we find instead is the assurance of the safety and the security of believers. That you will find passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, where the apostle Paul says that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone away. And behold, the new has come. And by that, what Paul is saying is that when people confess Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, they come under what we call new management. They are no longer under the rulership of Satan who for years had held them in bondage, in captivity to sin and its desires. They are no longer under the dictation of Satan who demands what they do, where they do it, and how they do it under the fear that Satan might kill them or punish them in some way. Instead, they come to Jesus where they find perfect peace, where they find the joy of salvation, where they find God's grace available to help and sustain them in the time of need, where they find protection and security as sons and daughters of the living God. They are now under new management. Christ Jesus is not just their savior, but he has become their Lord. And now they follow his rules and guidelines, his commands. Now they prioritize what he prioritizes. Now they feel secure, just as Christ is secure in the Father. You come to Colossians chapter 2 verse 15, and you will find the Apostle Paul saying the same principle, that Jesus Christ, who is now Lord of believers, has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In other words, Christ has already disarmed powers and authorities that would seek to threaten God's children. 
and the triumph that Christ has done is not just for himself, but for those who follow him and have come to believe in him. The victory that Christ won for us when he overcame Satan, both at the cross and rising from the grave, that victory was for us as well. And that's why we have the hope of the resurrection, because in Jesus defeating death, he has purchased resurrection and eternal salvation for us. So believers are not only under new management, are not only above and beyond Satan's reach and tactics and operation and possession, but they have also triumphed over powers and authorities and rulers of the darkness of this age. You come to First John chapter 4 verse 4. And John says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What is John saying? There are believers who now have Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. There is a much greater overcoming and victorious power at work in us that is incomparably greater than that of Satan that we are assured of full protection in Jesus. In other words, as a believer, you no longer have to worry whether demons will come and possess you or not, because Jesus is already at the throne of your life, and no power of darkness can come in when Jesus is in. Remember, light came into the world, and darkness could not comprehend it, the scriptures say. What about John 8.36? So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That in Christ Jesus there is freedom, not just from sin and the judgment that comes with sin, but even also from the power of the devil and his demons. Again you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. Compare it to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 16, and what do we find? That Christians are the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit cannot sit at the same table with the demons. So if the Holy Spirit is at work in the believer's life, which is the assurance we have in Scripture, in Ephesians chapter 1, then there is no way Satan could at the same time take possession of the same body and then disorganize the believer's life. The Holy Spirit is in. And this is very important for us to understand, friends. Because when you understand who you are in Christ, and what he has done and continues to do for you and in your life, then you begin to realize that you no longer have to fear the devil or no longer have to feel the urge to serve him, but instead that now under new management, under a new power of the Holy Spirit, you are an overcomer in Christ Jesus, and now you live the rest of your life for Jesus who died and rose again, living for his glory, living for his honor, living for his joy, and not out of fear for what the devil can do. Now, are there instances in which believers could be affected by demonic activity or work? Certainly, as we look through the pages of scripture, we see an, an, a situation where a believer could be oppressed by Satan from without. While possession is understood to be a control from within by forces other than the human being himself, Oppression is when Satan can bring against a believer certain things that may hinder his progress, that may steal his joy. Like for instance, if Satan tempts you and you fall in sin as a believer, you lose the joy of your salvation. You feel cut off from fellowship with God. Those are not good things. 
They have come because you have fallen prone to the deception of Satan. But it does not mean Satan is possessing you. There is a big difference between demonic possession and demonic oppression. We see several examples in the scriptures where believers are oppressed by Satan. A classic example being that of Job. That Satan has gone to God and sought permission to torture and torment Job to see if he would give up his faith. And what we see here is a case of demonic oppression coming from without. Satan is not possessing Job, but is harassing him health-wise, harassing him economically, harassing him socially, harassing him through his family and his possession and so on and so forth. But that is a case of demonic oppression that God has allowed, mind you, for his own purposes and one that God uses to work out all things so that they are working for the good of Job. At the end of the day, what we have is not a possessed job under the control of demonic forces, but a job who has persevered through oppression and overcome, and is a better man in the presence of God, and moreover, whose faith has been vindicated as a result of coming through the trials of Satan and scourged. We see another classic example of oppression in Matthew chapter 4, when we read the story of Jesus in the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days and he is at the limit. And Satan takes advantage of his vulnerability and begins whispering to him things that distort God's word, that deny God's word, that abuse God's word, deliberately orchestrated to mislead Jesus in his thoughts and in his actions. And again, we see Jesus overcoming. Is he being oppressed? Yes. Is he being possessed? Certainly not. We read about the Apostle Paul when he talks about the thorn in his flesh. Look at Second Corinthians 12 from verses 7 and 8. And he says that so to keep me from becoming conceited and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So here is the Apostle Paul, a man of God, no doubt, who is under the oppression of the messenger of Satan. But take a moment and look at this passage very carefully. Is this one way of Satan showing that he is more powerful than the Apostle Paul or than Jesus who is at work in him? No. The messenger of Satan is working under the guidance and the control of God himself. It is not Satan who is sending this messenger. It is God who has sent this messenger to keep the Apostle Paul humble and dependent on God that he might not be puffed up because of the giftings that God has given him. So we notice that this is not Satan in charge. As much as the messenger of Satan is in action, it is God behind it. We also recognize that while this messenger of Satan comes to harass Paul, he is not possessing him and making him unable to make biblical choices or biblical practices. Paul is still in control. He is being harassed from without by some strange sicknesses. But he is still able to keep his eye on God. He understands the source of this harassment as being a messenger sent by God to keep him under check. And therefore he responds in patient endurance and in prayer as he continues to plead with the Lord that he should deliver him. Please notice that when Paul finds himself being oppressed, 
He does not go for deliverance prayer ministry. He does not call the other apostles to deliver him from demonic possession, nor does he even command demons to get out of him. He is very much aware that this is not a case of demon possession, but one of oppression. And what does he do? He intercedes. He comes before the Lord in prayer. He addresses God, not the demons. He is more dependent on God and trusting God to deliver him and not afraid of what the demons can do. So, by way of conclusion, how can we tie this up together? By reminding ourselves that believers have changed their status and position simply because of belonging to Christ Jesus. That greater is he that is in them than the one that is in the world. That now they do not need to fear Satan anymore because Jesus who is Lord is at work in their lives and able to protect them and to secure them from all harm. That these believers now need to worship God rather than direct their attention to rebuking demons or chasing demons or getting worried about what demons must do. Like the Apostle Paul, they need to plead with the Lord about what they are going through. That demonic oppression is different from possession and demonic oppression can only work within the limits and control that God has set and it ultimately works for the believer's good and not his harm as he perseveres through the trials that Satan is throwing at him within the control of God's power and providence. As we approach this subject, we must always remember that truth is not decided by personal experiences and perceptions, but rather what the word of God says. While many people claim that they have seen believers who have been demon-possessed, and they have come to the conclusion that believers can be possessed because of a personal experience, we must remember that personal experiences are not the standard of truth, and that there may be other factors at work in this person alleged to be possessed, which we may not know or easily discern, but they don't necessarily mean that it is demon possession. We should also remember that not everyone who claims to be a believer actually is, you may have come across people who claim to be believers and truly were demon-possessed, but that does not mean that believers can be demon-possessed. Maybe they were just church members, but really who were not converted. Maybe they thought they were believers, but actually have never confessed Christ Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. Remember what Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to verse 23 says, that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That some people might even be involved in the ministry of deliverance itself, yet that doesn't make them believers or people who are qualified for eternal life. Do you remember the sons of Sceva in the book of Acts who went around saying, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, we command you to come out of this person? For a while they performed deliverance ministry and anybody who saw them would have simply assumed that they were believers Yet in actual sense they were not, as the passage soon reveals to us, that the demons identified them and were able to expose their deception. So because someone says I'm a believer does not necessarily mean they are. Because somebody has some oppression or some kind of problem that is disturbing them does not necessarily mean that they are being demon-possessed. Some of these come to believers as oppressions from Satan, Yet we should not lose sight of the fact that God is sovereign and Satan can only go as far as God wants him to go. 
So in moments like these of great confusion and concern, we must look to the scriptures to learn from God's word, to hear what it says about the subject, and to practice or to apply what we learn from scripture, not what we get from our cultures or the experience we gather from our churches or fellow ministry partners or church members. When we look to ourselves for truth, we are likely to be in error. But when we look to the unchanging word of God for truth, even when we might not agree with it or properly understand it, it is still God's truth. And the scriptures tell us that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Believers do not need to be scared of what Satan is doing or can do. Believers find their assurance in Christ Jesus, who has already become victorious for them, who is now at work in their lives and cannot coexist with Satan in their lives. Instead of wasting time scared of the devil and rebuking the devil in worship service, believers need to focus their attention on Jesus Christ the Lord, the victorious resurrected lamb on the throne, the only one who has not only granted them eternal life, but who guarantees their safety and security while still in this sinful world. May the Lord bless you. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.